This is the first Sunday of Advent. The, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are Advent celebrations, where we remember the time when Jesus hadn't yet come. We put ourselves, like I said, in the shoes of God's people, hoping and waiting and anticipating the coming Messiah. This month, as we lead up to Christmas, we're going to be dwelling in some Advent texts, and we're going to hear a lot from the prophet Isaiah. As I begin this morning, well, hold on, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I have a note that reminds me to thank those who came out on Friday and helped decorate our auditorium for Christmas. Can we give them a, a, a clap of thanks? It looks fantastic. Thank you to those volunteers who came out. Uh, and then Tom Spinka was here over the weekend working on some thermostats and just making everything run smoothly. And just we got a great uh, crew of volunteers that make a lot of cool things happen here at the church. So thank you to all of y'all. Okay, now getting into the Advent stuff. In 1909, 1909, think about that, long time ago, Nikola Tesla told this to the New York Times. It will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can carry and operate his own apparatus. If you have such an apparatus, will you take it out and hold it up uh, at this time? Because I have one, and I can transmit things literally all over the world. I can get messages about what's going on on the other side of the globe. I can communicate with people. I can tell it what to do like I'm on Star Trek or something. Send a message to my mom saying, I love you, or whatever. Nikola Tesla was right. He predicted this in 19. Oh, nine. And depending on how you apply the word soon, we think that he was right. Because he said soon it will happen. If you were in 1909, you might have thought soon, like next year? Well, maybe not quite. Uh, but at the time, you can imagine, there were a lot of people who wouldn't have believed it. But we're going to be able to communicate across the world, just voice commands, things that you carry with you. I don't see that happening. I don't see how that's even possible, Mr. Tesla. They probably wouldn't have predicted there'd be so many cars with his name on it, driving around our freeways, which, by the way, didn't exist back then either. It makes us wonder, people in that situation, when something is predicted, you kind of have this skepticism. Maybe, maybe that'll happen, but we probably won't see it in our lifetime. And the people who read this in 1909 probably didn't see it in their lifetime. Most of them didn't. And some people were probably even skeptical, wondering, will this even happen at all? Seems a little far-fetched. With this in mind, I want to give you a few other predictions from today that futurists and scientists, people who are anticipating these kinds of things, they say that this is what the future is going to be like. And I want you to just kind of be the, be the skeptic or the person who accepts it. And I want you to say, yeah, that might happen. That sounds plausible. Or no, I don't think so. The first one is, in the future, all cars will be self-driving cars. Thumbs up if you think, yeah, that seems about right, or nah, I'm, I'm, Dick Jones is like, I'm never going to give up my muscle car. Uh, no, Connie's not so sure either. But that, I mean, that's what they're saying. I mean, you can already see it now. There's safety features where the car will, you know, keep you from swerving into the lane next to you. It parks themselves. Like, there already are self-driving cars, but this prediction says that all cars will be self-driving. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Here's another prediction that was made. They say that there will come a time soon where kitchens will restock themselves. The food in your pantry, the stuff you keep in your fridge with Amazon drones or whatever may be, there's going to, like, you just have to plug it in or it'll automatically read it. 
If you're all out of oranges, it'll go bloop, 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 bloop. All, now you're all set. You got new oranges. What do you think? Does that seem plausible or not so much? You were like, I don't know if it's plausible, but sign me up. That sounds great. Not have to go grocery shopping. Maybe, maybe not. Here's another prediction. They predict that soon CGI will replace actors in movies. There will be no more live action people who are filmed. It's just going to be created with computers like Pixar animation. Although it's going to seem a lot more real and you won't even be able to tell the difference. That's what they say. There will be no more screen actors. It's all going to be CGI. Yes? No? What do you think? Maybe. I mean, uh, maybe it's a way to save money. Maybe they get better at it. Some of you are like, I don't know. I like, I like a good actor, but that's, that's what they're predicting. They're saying this might happen. This last one, I'm not so sure if this is even real, but this was <laughs> something I came across. They're saying that there will come a time where you can go to the zoo and you can see a live woolly mammoth, live and in person, hopefully behind a big cage or something. Yes to woolly mammoth? No. Maybe? What? There's researchers at the, at the University of Kyoto, Japan, who are saying, like, the technology to do that is already here. The only thing we don't have is, like, a viable tissue sample. If we find one buried in the ice somewhere and we can extract that, we can recreate. I mean, this sounds like Jurassic Park, right? That's the exact storyline, and you know how that turned out. Not great. But they're saying this could happen with some extinct creatures. We could bring them back. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime. Some of these predictions make us feel maybe the way Israel felt when they were hearing about this coming kingdom of God. Maybe we'll see the Messiah, but we've sure had a lot of generations where we haven't seen him at all. So maybe it'll happen, not in our lifetime, and maybe it won't even happen at all. Writing in the late 8th century BC, this is way before Nikola Tesla, Isaiah the prophet, this was during the reign of King Ahaz, probably, what, are we counting? How many hundreds of years ago? <laughs> uh, he cast a vision for a peaceful future under God's rule. And like I said, there were people during the time who said, I don't know, it seems a little far-fetched, Isaiah. I want it to happen. Like we want our fridges to be magically restocked, but I gotta say, I don't think it's likely. Listen to the vision that Isaiah cast, and then we'll talk about why this is important for Christians. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what Isaiah saw. This passage kind of echoes the psalm that we heard earlier, the one that Lisa read, Psalm 122. This was a psalm of ascent. It's people saying, let's go. Let's go up to Jerusalem. Let's go to the house of worship where we can worship the Lord. It's a good 
final destination. But these psalms were designed to be sung along the way. Like, do you ever hum a church song on your way to church? Like you're driving to church and you're going like, Great is thy faithfulness. That's what this is. The destination is great, but the journey to get there is a good path to be on as well. And once you get there, it's something that we want. It's something that we hope for. There's characteristics described of what happens on the mountain of the Lord. It's a place of justice, and that's something that we want to see, especially in our world today. There's cries for justice all over the place. Again, you can learn about this stuff on your devices. I was texting uh, our friend Yazi Orumi the other day, and I was like, I haven't seen you around much lately. I miss you. I hope, hope to see your family again soon. And she said, I've been fighting. I've been protesting. Said, okay, tell me more about that. She's, she's from Iran. Her family's Persian. They have, like, roots in Iran. And there's this huge uprising going on there. There's these human rights violations that people are not okay with. So there's protesters. And even the protesters are being abused. And she's like, we got to do something about this. This is, this is important. There's injustice happening. But on the mountain of the Lord, God will be the just judge. And all disputes will be settled. Isn't that a good vision? Isn't that something we want? Yes, but you think it's going to happen anytime soon? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not the way it's described. Maybe not soon. The mountain of the Lord is a place of learning. It says he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. God has something to offer us. We have something to learn at the feet of the God of creation. And it's also a place of peace. It's a place where there's no more fighting and this phrase stood out to me. There's no more preparing for war. And that's something that if you think about it, we've lived in a world where we've never not been preparing for war. Our world is constantly preparing for war. And individually, we are constantly on the defensive about potential conflicts that could break out. There's a lot of preparing and training for war happening on a global scale. When you think about what's going on in China, in Taiwan, Korea, the U.S., Russia and Ukraine, they're preparing for more war. People are stockpiling weapons, training their militaries. It's just the way things are. They're like, okay, they're training for war. We better train for war too. Closer to home, there's a lot of preparing for war that happens in our own relationships. The holidays have this reputation for being a tense environment with people that you're technically related to, but uh, you, know, you don't see very often. I don't know if anybody has braced themselves for... Somebody who's bound to bring up a topic that's going to make us uncomfortable. Okay, let's just, let's just get through this. Let's not talk about anything sensitive. Let's just get through the meal and then we can move on. We sometimes prepare for war in those relationships. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you have to interact with, but you don't prefer to because you have such divergent views. And anytime you encounter this person, you just, ah, I'm bracing myself. I'm going to be civil. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to go off on them like I did last time. There may be people like that in our lives. And even the people that we are closest to, we sometimes find ourselves pre preparing for arguments, kind of run through the, the conversation in our head. If they say this, then I'm going to say this. If they even try to bring up this thing, then I'm going to throw this back in their face. And this is, this is how I'm preparing for this interaction. Preparing for war. It's what we do. It's what we're used to. It's so common, we can't imagine a world without it. And it's into this context that Isaiah's words ring out, both then and now. He says, the kingdom of the Lord, we won't have to deal with that. The kingdom of the Lord is a place of peace. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk 
in the light of the Lord. Let's lean into this vision. And we hear that and we think, yeah, I'm for it, but I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime. And maybe it might not even happen at all. But Isaiah's call is a reminder for God's people, not just to see this vision of what happens on the mountain of the Lord, but to live into it, to be joyful on the way to this destination. Let's not wait for the bus to show up. Let's get in the car and start moving toward it now by the way we live our lives. It's possible that Isaiah himself didn't even believe in this vision. Now I'm playing a little bit of uh, skeptical, imagine, what ifing here. But think about this. I don't fully understand how the dynamic between God and a prophet like Isaiah works. I mean, God say things to him, and he's like, all right, I'll write this down. I'll go preach this in the city, but I'm not, I'm not even convinced myself that we're going to see this. But God said there's going to be this mountain, and everybody's going to want to go to it, and we'll actually live in a world of peace under God's reign. Maybe Isaiah didn't fully believe in it himself. And that's actually a pretty common theme when you think about Scripture. There were people who heard this vision, and they could see the vision, but they, they kind of had this feeling they weren't actually going to get there. Like, think about Moses and the Israelites. There was a whole generation who had to wander in the desert, and they were not allowed to enter the promised land. You can stand up on the ridge. You can see it. That's where others are going to go, but you're not going to live there, just so you know. Ah, that's rough. Maybe you learn patience, and maybe it's just frustrating. A few weeks back, I talked about the passage from Jeremiah 29, when the Israelites were taken into exile, and God says through the prophet Jeremiah, some of you are going to get to go back home. There's going to be a time where you get to return to Jerusalem. You're going to rebuild the temple, but not you guys. What you guys need to do is get comfortable. Settle in. This is your new home. Pray for the prosperity of the city. Be my people in this foreign land. That's got to be tough. Martin Luther King Jr.'s last speech that he gave the night before he was assassinated was given in Memphis, Tennessee, and it reflects this theme as well. Let me read part of what he said. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So Advent is this season where we anticipate the arrival of God's coming kingdom. It's a season where we tap into the feelings of Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Dr. King, admitting that we may not see it in its fullness. It may not happen soon, at least not by Mr. Tesla's definition of soon. But the first followers of Jesus realized that Isaiah's far-fetched vision of God's kingdom of peace was arriving and had arrived in Jesus. And Christians for centuries have celebrated the arrival of the king with a joyful Christmas celebration. We love Christmas. Christmas, the celebration, the festival itself, traditionally starts on December 25th and then goes how many days? Twelve. 
the 12 days of Christmas and all this weird stuff. Uh, that's usually how it's celebrated. I had this tradition uh, that was different than that growing up. My family, we would, you know, just do a normal kid Christmas, but we had the opportunity to open one Christmas present on Christmas Eve. And then Christmas morning was when we get to rip open all the presents. Yeah, Christmas morning, the stockings and all that. But we got to open one present on Christmas Eve. And we, we did that, and then we like, oh, this is awesome. Mom, can we open two? Come on, just one more present this year. Can we do this? And Mom said no. She always said no. But if she said yes, we probably would have asked for three. And, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, it just, it just escalates. And we would have ripped open all the presents if we had the opportunity to. But we never got to. Our culture, you may have noticed, effectively does what me and my sisters wanted to do when we were kids. We open up all the presents the day after Halloween, and we're like, ah, we love Christmas. We want it to explode into the here and now. We have a hard time as a people, as a culture, with the waiting part, which is bad news for Advent, which is a season of waiting and anticipating the arrival of Jesus. But in an odd way, it does kind of reflect the joyful hope that we have for the kingdom of God to come just as soon as possible. Just, it can't get here fast enough. We pray, God, your kingdom come. That vision, we want that now. We don't want to wait for it on earth, right here, as it's done in heaven. The kingdom of God is an already but not yet. Jesus has come. He has arrived. He laid down his life. He's been raised from the dead. But we still anticipate the full culmination of the kingdom where this vision is something that we see where all nations will lay down their guns and their swords and all people stop their arguing and everybody flocks to the mountain of the lord so the simple call for us our people the tri-valley church is to live into that vision of god's rule in this world and in our lives we remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is a place of justice. So we care about things being the way they're supposed to be. And on a personal level, we stop putting ourselves in the position of judge and saying, this is how it should be, this is how it should be, you're right, you're wrong, I'm right. We let God be the judge and let God rule his world as the righteous judge. We remember that the kingdom of God is a place of learning. We come here to learn the ways of the Lord. We look to the life of Jesus and we decide to treat others with compassion and forgiveness. And we take the role of a servant the way that Jesus taught us to. And we remind ourselves that it's a place of peace. Right now you might be thinking of somebody, a relationship that you have that is tense. Maybe you've been preparing for a war, for a conversation, for a relationship. Right now I hope you hear the call just to make peace. Don't wait for that vision, but lean into it now. Let us go up joyfully to the house of the Lord. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we can see it. We can see it as clearly as we can see a woolly mammoth at the Oakland Zoo. We can picture it. We want to go there. We want to experience it. So we pray your kingdom come. Lord, let there be peace in our lives. Let there be peace where there's conflict today. Let there be humility. Let there be foot washing happening. May we 
the people who hold on to this vision, the people who believe in the truth and the goodness, the arrival of Israel's Messiah, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be your hands and feet, not just communicating this vision and not just holding on to it, but living it, leaning into it and joyfully rushing toward it. We pray your kingdom come and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.